Well, once again, just a, a welcome and grateful to have you uh, this morning on this Palm Sunday. We are going to be in Luke chapter 19, so if you have a Bible with you or a phone app or something that you want to follow along, you may want to get yourself there uh, eventually. But I want to uh, just kind of set the stage here a little bit of kind of what my hopes are, what our hopes are here this morning. I, I'd like to get, kind of give us a, a bigger picture of Jesus, to enlarge in our vision of Jesus, of who he is, that it may spark up true and honest worship in our life. So we ought to see who Jesus is for who he is and how that might shape and direct our own life to, to be able to see what that direction might look like if we understand who he is. This week, as I said, we're going to celebrate Monday, Thursday. We're going to celebrate Good Friday. We're going to do all the stuff leading up to the glorious resurrection of Jesus on Easter. But this morning, it's Palm Sunday. And so this morning we're going to zero our thoughts and our understanding on Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem on that Sunday as he kind of goes into all the rest of that's going to happen during the week. And Easter and what we celebrate in Easter and why it's important in our life as followers of Jesus is that it separates Christianity from all other world religions and separates Jesus from any other world renowned teacher or moral philosopher or theologian or anything, what separates Christianity from anything else is Easter. Is what we celebrate this Sunday leading up through Easter that Christ, the risen King, is indeed alive. And that separates Jesus and separates Christianity from any other world religion or any other thought or philosophy or anything else. The, the, the truth that what Jesus endured on this last week and what he rose and how he conquered death in the resurrection separates Christianity from anything and everything else. And this week, we hope that you'll join us on this journey with Jesus this last week of his life as we understand the betrayals, we understand the sacrifice, we understand all that's going on. But this morning, as I said, is Palm Sunday. So we want to focus on the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. And actually this week, all the way leading up to his resurrection. This is just like a little bit of a side note, a little Bible trivia for those of you who are into this kind of thing. You may want to know that the four gospel writers, gospel writer of Mark, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them uh, have a portion of their story, of their gospel writing, about the last week of Jesus' life. Actually, about a third of all of the gospel writing is all centered on the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus lived for roughly around 33 years. He gave, did ministry publicly for around three years. But the writers found about a third of what they wanted to write about was all about one week. About one week of Jesus' life, the, the entrance into Jerusalem, which we'll talk about this morning, and all that happens during Jesus' final week that theologians and people have called the passion of Christ, that leading into the resurrection, the Maundy Thursday events, the Good Friday, the darkness of the grave, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus, the ascension, everything else that happens. All four writers of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, spend a significant amount of time on this week, it could be said that this is like this week of Jesus' life is like the crescendo of all of Jesus' ministry. Everything has been leading up to this week. Everything of Jesus' life and ministry and teaching and ministry of miracles and healings and everything else has been leading up to this final week in Jesus' life. And so we need to understand what happens 
And why does what happened this week separate Christianity and Jesus from anyone and anything else? It's all been pointing to this. This week, this holy week that we enter into today is significant. It's crucial. And we have reason to celebrate. We have reason to worship and to adore our great God because of what happens this week. This week. Now, there's all sorts of things going on in your mind, I'm sure. Lots of ways of being distracted. There's things about having your kids and thinking about the bounce house and, and the, the lunch and the, the food trucks and everything else like that. And, and already you're thinking about other things and that can happen, I know. But for just a few moments, before I dive into the passage of Luke, I want to invite each and every one of us just to take a deep breath, settle in. And I'm going to invite us to just a moment of silence and just a moment of prayerful reflection. And I'm asking you, wherever wherever you are in your spiritual journey, to ask you to pray a simple, quiet prayer in your own heart that would just simply say, Lord, would you teach me what I need to know today? Would you teach me what I need to know today? So we're just going to take a minute, just a couple seconds really. And I'm going to invite you to just take a couple deep breaths and say that prayer silently. And then we'll dive into what we can learn in the Gospel of Luke together. So let's pray that quietly and then I'll lead us. Father, it's humbling to be called your child and to know that you love us. And so I pray for us today that we would see you more clearly, that we would have our eyes to lift up on who you are and what you have done. Pray for each person in this room and those that are streaming online that are tuning in from all over the region and all over the world that our eyes would see you more clearly and abundantly and that you would teach us what each one of us needs to hear today. That you would teach us and meet us right where we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 28. So if you have a Bible or an app or you can follow along on the screens behind me and we can go from there. So starting in verse 28, and it says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now, the, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is the entrance of Jesus to Jerusalem this first day on Palm Sunday. And I want us to notice a few things about the way in which Jesus enters into Jerusalem, that the way he sets his eyes on Jerusalem and through Jerusalem to the cross and what's going to happen on the cross and the way he does that, that should stir up some adoration or some worthy of praise in our minds. Uh, make no mistake about it. Don't, don't allow yourself to be fooled to think that maybe Jesus didn't really know what was ahead of him. He didn't really understand what was happening. No, make no mistake. He knew exactly what was going to be in front of him. He knew exactly what going to Jerusalem meant. He saw right through it. He saw the cross. He saw the sacrifice. He saw the pain. He saw everything he did and was going to do. And he willfully and intentionally walked towards it. It wasn't something that surprised him. It wasn't something that came out of left field. But he understood all the pain. He understood all the sacrifice. He understood all of that. That he would seek and save that which was lost, reconciling and restoring that which was broken, namely you and I, and bringing us back to right relationship with him. He knew exactly what Jerusalem meant. He knew exactly the people that he would meet in Jerusalem. And he knew exactly the sacrifice that awaited him on the cross. And so the thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus in all of this, in this last week of his life, that he is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our worship and acclamation and praise. This scene of him walking into Jerusalem, the riding in to Jerusalem, the scene is filled with people singing and, and waving their palm branches and laying their coats or their cloaks down on the ground in front of him. And they're singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. There's this worship procession that is happening. And then you see, right, the Pharisees come around to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, that worship is getting a little crazy. It's getting a little bit too much. It's getting a little too loud, too loud and, and rompous and too much stuff is happening. Tell your disciples to kind of quiet it down a little bit. To which Jesus replies, if, even if I could quiet the disciples, the rocks themselves, the creation itself would cry out. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of all adoration and praise and worship. Jesus says, even if these disciples that you think are being too loud and crazy, too silly in their worship, even if they could calm down, which I'm not going to tell them to calm down, even if they could, all of creation would cry out. Why? Well, because he's worthy of it. In other words, you cannot stop the celebration that is due our king on his triumphal entry. You cannot stop the joy and the celebration and the worship of God. If you could, quiet and silence some, all of creation cries out because he is worthy of all adoration and praise. The people in that crowd, they worshiped God. They waved their palm branches. 
They sang. Why? Because he was worthy of all our adoration. And as people on this side of the resurrection, people who know the story of God, whether you know a little of the story of God or you know lots of the story of God, you know that there is reason to celebrate. That when we gather in these places, whether they're in person or they're virtual, when we gather in these places, there ought to be joy and celebration and extemporaneous worship that happens. Why? Because Jesus is king and he is reigning and he is entering into Jerusalem and he sits on the colt and he is worthy of our adoration and praise because he alone is worthy of our adoration and he is king. But you know what a sobering reality is? Amidst all the shouts of praise, amidst the palm branches that are waved and the coats that are laid down before Jesus, amidst all of that, there are people who miss it. While there are people who shout for joy and extemporaneously burst out into worship and praise and raise their hands and shout for Jesus, there are people who miss it. They're busy with their lives. They're busy getting on with their own things. They're busy keeping their house together. They're busy doing one thing or another. And some, in the midst of the crowd of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, they miss it. They're too busy to notice. They may see Jesus and they thought, Jesus, well, you're a good person. Maybe you're worthy of some singing. Maybe you're worthy of some praise. But all this ruckus that's happening is too much. Could we calm it down a little that there are people that miss it on that Palm Sunday. And you know the truth is? The same is true today. That there are people, while when we see Jesus on a rescue mission to seek and save that which was lost, namely you and I, that people see it and they understand it and there are those that joyously celebrate and sing and worship and, they, and that proclaim God's goodness and there are those who miss it. There are those who are busy with their lives and their things to do and their to-do list and the other things that occupy their time. And while there are some who really understand and sing and joyfully worship, there are those who are too busy to be distracted. And there are those who think that all this celebration may be a little bit too much and just kind of want to tone it down a little, to which I want to repeat what Jesus would say, even if we could tone it down, the rocks would cry out, for he is worthy of our adoration and praise. Now, to be fair, there are tons of people in that crowd on that first Palm Sunday who missed it. They didn't quite get it because there were some in that crowd that later would cry, crucify Jesus, right? They didn't quite understand all that they were doing. But in that moment, their adoration, their praise, their singing, it was an appropriate response to who Jesus is. Even if they didn't fully understand it, it was appropriate response. For when we see Jesus for who he is, the appropriate response is to respond in praise and adoration and worship. So when we consider who Jesus is, especially this last week of Jesus' life, my hope for us is we would see reasons that warrant our complete worship and adoration and praise and celebration for who Jesus is. 
that as we take these next few moments and think about the last week of Jesus' life, that it would remind you of reasons that we have that warrant our praise and adoration of Jesus. And the first thing, first reason that I can see is that Jesus sees us. Notice what happens in Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. He looks at the people in Jerusalem. He sees them. It says that he comes up, and as he comes to the city, he looks and he sees the people in Jerusalem. And he sees all the hustle and bustle. It was a busy week. He saw all the outward signs of success and the people doing all that they were going to do. But he sees through all of the veneer on the surface, and he sees, really sees people. And he sees people who are lonely. People who are clamoring to try and make a life for themselves. People who are trying to grasp at any kind of semblance of control in their life. He sees people that are struggling in their marriages. He sees people who are struggling to understand their meaning and their purpose. He sees people who are broken and are hurting. He sees them. He doesn't see the veneer thin layer on top, but he sees them. He knows their situation. He knows what's going on in them. He knows their situation better than they do. And not only does he see them, but he's moved in compassion. We're told in the scripture that I just read that not only does he see the people in Jerusalem, but in seeing them, he weeps for them. He weeps for them. He looks over the city with all of its veneer of success, but he sees all the brokenness and loneliness and despair in the city, and he weeps for them. He's moved by compassion. See, the Jesus that we're introduced to in the Scriptures and that we see in Luke 19 and all throughout the Scriptures is not some unmoved deity who's sitting off someplace in some far-off heaven with his arms folded and, and distant and cold. Rather, the, the Jesus we interact with in the Scriptures is one who is moved with compassion, one who sees beyond the surface and sees us and sees us where we are and is intensely personal. Intensely personal. Not just seeing the crowds, but seeing you and your struggles and your trying to get some semblance of control in your life. And he's moved. Let that recognize for just a moment that the God of the universe sees you, sees past the, the thin veneer layer on top and sees you. It's what we see in Jesus. It's what we experience in Jesus. And not only does he see you and understand your situation better than you do, but he is moved with compassion for you. He's intensely personal. Second reason that is warranting our full adoration and praise is that not only does Jesus see us, but he sacrifices for us. See, it's not just that Jesus is moved internally with some kind of heartfelt sentiment and feels bad about us, because if he just felt bad about us, about our situation, well, that's not really worthy of worship. It's mere sentiment. It's, it's good feeling for us, but it's not worthy of our full adoration and worship. 
but his seeing and his compassion moves us, moves him to sacrifice for us, to go to great lengths to bring healing and reconciliation and oneness and wholeness. And he walks directly towards all the grief and the pain and all that he's going to endure this week with the Monday, Thursday and the betrayal of a close friend, the sham of a, of a trial, the crucifixion and the pain of the torturous death that he was to endure and the darkness of the grave. He goes through all of that in the greatest expression of love the world has ever seen or will ever see. He does it all because he sees you doesn't just see and is moved, but he sacrifices in a deeply personal way. All what we see in Palm Sunday is this preamble, this worship that happens is just the beginning for the greatest expression of love this world has ever seen in Jesus. And it is worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our life, all of our devotion. Why? Because he sees you. He knows you. He's moved in compassion for you. And out of his great mercy and love for you, he is willing to endure this whole week of shame and bitterness, sacrifice and pain to restore that which was broken, namely you and I. And in a poignant part of the story, Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, or night he is being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you know the story, he goes off to a place to pray and he prays, God, if there's any other way to do this, I know what's happening. If there's any other way to do this, let's, let's go that way. And then he prays this famous prayer. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because he sees you. And to leave you in the state that you are in is not okay with him. And he goes to great lengths to endure the shame of the cross and the torturous death of the crucifixion for you and I. And when we see his sacrifice and when we see and understand how he knows us and goes to great lengths to sacrifice, well, that ought to lead us and stir us into gratitude thankfulness, worship, and adoration, and praise for Jesus knows you, sees you, past the veneer Facebook you, and knows you, and sacrifices for you. But that leads me to the third thing I want to notice about this last week of Jesus' life. And the reason that he deserves all of our adoration and praise and our worship because he serves. He serves. He doesn't come riding on this donkey's colt as just some kind of blasting other sitting up on his high horse to be given the royal treatment and just to wave his holy finger at people that are bad and to do all those things. No, he comes, especially this last week and all the enduring of the things of his earthly ministry, he comes as the role of a servant. In a brilliant display of love and service, Jesus would wash his disciples' feet on Thursday night. He would take his outer garments off and wrap himself with a towel and he would bend over and wash the feet of his disciples, even the one who moments later would betray him. In a moment of brilliant display of love and service and sacrifice, he notices the goodness in each person and places their needs above his own. 
Like in Jesus' last week of his ministry, he sees through all of the veneer, sees the brokenness. He willingly, sacrificially gives himself up and he places others' needs above his own. He places your needs above his own comfort. So what's the proper response? What do we do when we get an elevated vision of Jesus? What do we do when we see Jesus for who he really is? Well, our lives ought to burst forth with extemporaneous worship and praise and singing. We ought to wave palm branches and lay our coats down. For there is joy in the house of the Lord when we see Jesus for who he is. When we understand the great lengths that he's willing to go through, we understand that he sees us and that he is the victorious king who rose victoriously from the grave on that Easter Sunday, then all hope is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Then our lives ought to burst forth with, with extemporaneous shouts of joy and adoration and worship. But worship is much more than singing. Worship much more than waving palm branches and getting caught up in the moment. What does Jesus ask of us? What is the kind of worship that Jesus asks of us? To sing and to wave palm branches and and to shout? Yeah, yeah. But more than that. More than that. We talk about when uh, we were invited to live our life as apprentices to Jesus. We're learning to live our lives the way Jesus would learn to live our, our life, where he would live our life. We're learning to practice his way of living. So what does Jesus require or ask of us? What's the worship that Jesus is asking of us? Well, earlier in Luke, Luke chapter 9, Jesus says it this way. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. When Jesus calls his very first disciples, he calls them on their fishing boat and says, I want you to come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. There's a person that comes up to him and says, Jesus, what should I do? How can I have eternal life? What what does it mean to live with you? And he says, one thing you need to do is go take care of everything else, but go and follow me. Worship, in other words, is a way of following Jesus. Yes, our worship should be celebratory. Our songs should exuber this joy that comes from us where we wave our palm branches, layer our coats down. But more than that, he is worthy of not just singing about, he's worthy of following. For when we follow the ways of Jesus, we find the eternal life that we were made for. When following Jesus, we find the purpose and meaning in life that we were created for. So yeah, does it mean that we sing and and joyously clap and wave and do that? Yes, for God is worthy of all of that. But true worship is a life of following the way of Jesus. So what does that look like for you and I? Well, let's look at Jesus' life. It means you and I, we need to do the hard work of slowing down enough to see somebody, to see past the veneer Instagram version, to really see the people that you drive next to in your commute to work, the person who's working in the office next to you, the student who's in the desk next to you, to really see them really see beneath the surface that there's more going on. We need to learn from Jesus to see them. There is a 
pardon the word here, there is a pandemic of unnoticedness in our world where people walk right past others and they feel completely unnoticed. What was powerful about Jesus? He noticed you. He notices me. So what does it look like to worship and to follow in the ways of Jesus? We learn to notice others. To see them. To slow down enough, to, spa- to create enough space in your life to listen to them. To hear their story. To understand what's beneath the surface a little bit. And if we're honest, sometimes people have been following God for a long time. They claim to be a Christian for a long time. But oftentimes, we don't see people the way Jesus does. Actually, we have contempt in our heart. And we think less of others that do certain things that we think are on the naughty list. And we look down our nose at them. What would it look like if this week, if you considered the life of Jesus, what would it look like for you to be as someone who really sees someone else, notices them, to take time to speak and to listen to them? There would be tremendous healing that can happen in your work environment. Tremendous healing that can happen in our community at large. Healing that can happen in your marriage in your families, if we took the time to listen, really hear and see the other person and to not just blast past them. What does Jesus do? He sees. But not only does he see, he sacrifices for others, for us. His compassionate eyes led him to action to willfully place the needs of another person above his own. So what does that look like for you and I? For this week, as we consider the life of Jesus, to sacrifice our agenda, our time, our money, our resources, our reputation, to sacrifice our agenda to serve somebody else, to understand them, to be with them. What we see in Jesus is that he sees you. He's intensely personal. He understands past the thin veneer layer that we project and he sees, he notices you. He willingly sacrifices and serves you, placing your needs above his own. And there's tremendous healing that happens when we understand that. And as apprentices to Jesus, our worship that overflows from the joyous singing and the songs and the palm waving the joyous extemporaneous worship overflows into the way in which we see others, the way in which we sacrifice for them and serve them and care for them. So this morning, on this Palm Sunday morning, as we enter into this Holy Week, may our lives and the songs we sing be songs of joy and celebration. And may we figuratively wave palm branches and sing and joyous, but may it not stop there. May it lead us and overflow into a life that is pursuing the way of Jesus and a life that is pursuing a way of noticing others, compassionately, sacrificially serving others 
And may these kind of celebrations and the bounce houses and the music and the egg hunt and all that we do today, may all the celebration create a fire in us to follow the way of Jesus, that we would experience the eternal kind of life that we were made to experience right now, that we would see heaven in us and that we would live that kind of life moving forward. Let me pray for us. And as I pray, the worship team is going to come and lead us in a song as we remind ourselves of following the way of Christ, that this life of worship is a life of following. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go. Jesus, we are again humbled that you see us past the outward expression and past all of the things that we may project You know us. And you sacrifice. May our lives reflect a life of worship. And may we sing joyously, celebratory. But may it overflow in a life that is modeled after you. We thank you for meeting us here in this place. Pray that we would have the courage to walk in accordance to your will. It's in your name we pray. Amen.